0: Hello, you're listening to Future Artifacts FM, a radio show hosted by Neve Schmidtke and Nina Davies.
1: Earlier this year, several radio frequencies were discovered airing a collection of broadcasts. At first, they sounded like regular news stories and interviews. They felt familiar, but also not quite belonging to our present. Slowly, the listeners came to believe that what they were listening to did indeed belong to their world, just not their time. They were looking into the future through the mundane edges of radio recordings and public service announcements. While this material is still being meticulously studied by researchers in various universities and museums, your hosts have managed to gain access to this collection to air a selection of these broadcasts for you, our listeners.
0: For full disclosure, we will not be sharing this collection with you, as this introduction is based on a fictional event. In this monthly broadcast, Future Artifacts FM, we will present speculative fiction pieces by artists and writers, followed by conversation with hosts Niamh Schmidtka and Nina Davies. The program will focus on fictional works intended for broadcast, such as radio plays or fictional interviews, to carve out a better understanding of the now by exploring various interpretations of the future. Hello, and welcome back to Future Artifacts FM this week,
1: we have an extra exciting guest, our very own co-host, Nina Davies. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, even though it's not really an invitation. It's we're
0: turning we're, we're, we're turning the show on you. You're in the hot seat now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting to, to be just us two, just having a just having a little chat Yay. for the new year. We've got a really exciting program uh, coming up for 2022. So um, we thought we'd just keep it simple for the new year.
0: Yeah, we're easing you in and then we've got some, yeah, really exciting people that are going to be coming up over the next few months. Um, Some new commissions that are going to be coming as well. We're really, really excited to share them all with you. It's going to be a fun year.
1: Yeah, but for now, it's just it's just us two. It's just a humble episode this time.
0: Yeah. Um, So I guess for anyone who doesn't know, Nina is the co-host of this show. And she's a Canadian artist currently based in London. She's an interdisciplinary artist. And this work continues her research into how she considers choreography beyond its performative state by observing how it intersects with language and where it begins to take on commodified or material forms.
1: That is correct.
0: So the piece we're going to be listening to today is Bionic Step. It's a 12 minute long fictional podcast
1: yeah again if anyone has listened to our first ever episode we showcased uh, my work as well and I sort of thought I'd keep it within that remit of the I thought I'd continue to experiment with the sort of fictional podcast form so it's going to be a bit of like a podcast interview inception where like we'll start with a fictional interview and then we'll go on to the real interview
0: yeah yeah interview within an interview yeah yeah maybe though you'll even find something else inside the piece no I'm just kidding yeah (laughs) um
1: it goes deeper (laughs) it's going deeper and deeper is there
0: anything you want listeners to know before we start listening to the piece
1: I don't think there is anything to necessarily know before uh I think we'll just get into it after everyone's listened to it
0: all right. And you're now listening to Bionic Step by
1: Nita Davis. Great.
2: Cognitive Affairs, a show that looks into how recent events of the past have shaped our ways of thinking. I'm your host, Alex Lee, and today we are joined by new religious studies professor Francis Thompson. Thompson works in the Department of Techno-Faith at the University of Red Creek, and today we will be discussing her research on the history of emerging rituals and practices, which you may or may not be familiar with, Francis, thanks for joining us today.
3: Thanks, Alex. I'm really excited to be here and I'm so glad you asked me to contribute to your show. I think I've got a few students that must listen to your show because when I told them I was coming on here uh, to record with you, they seemed pretty impressed.
2: Great. You know, there's something so satisfying about when young people actually want to listen to what you have to say. I feel like I've won some sort of for still being relevant.
3: Yeah, yeah, tell me about it.
2: I guess you more than anyone understands that.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, to a certain extent, uh, my job depends on it.
2: So, Francis, I wanted to kick everything off with a slightly personal question. Ooh, okay, yeah, go for it. You don't have to answer this question if you feel like it's going to reposition your research, but I'm interested. Do you belong to a techno-faith community? Or do you believe that computational media contains spiritual powers? Or is this something that interests you uh, purely academically? You don't have to answer this question.
3: Well, I'm going to have to say first that I don't think you can have a purely academic interest. There's always something personal driving an interest, so I'm drawn to technical faith for many reasons. And in order to carry out my research professionally, I maintain a level of neutrality to the subject.
2: So in terms of whether you believe in it or not. Uh,
3: e- exactly. Um, I'm not trying to prove whether it exists or not. But I'm more interested in the conditions that support
2: this belief. But wouldn't that be sort of trying to prove its legitimacy? Yeah,
3: yeah. I can see how that's confusing. But no, there's a slight difference. And it's easier to understand through the question, why would someone believe that computational medias are divine? So I look at the surrounding events that lead up to a belief system such as this. But most recently, I've been getting into how spiritual practices and rituals, like bionic step indicate significant shifts in our relationship to technology that go slightly beyond questions of belief.
2: Right. Well, this actually leads me into my first real question. I wanted to talk to you about Bionic Step. Your work on this dance is super interesting. Can you just quickly explain what it is?
3: Mm -hmm, Yeah, sure. Uh, So Bionic Step, for those who haven't heard, is primarily a dance. And it's characterized by a rhythm that moves in and out of slow motion and paired with glitch movements. It's used to primarily be performed online, but recently has been introduced into live gatherings, usually among techno-faith communities.
2: But these dances are also popular outside of techno-faith communities as well, right? My kids go to very similar events. Is there a difference, or are they fundamentally the same thing?
3: It's yes and no. I mean, your kids and the events they go to may not identify with techno-faith communities, but the dance is sort of an ode, if you will, to the moment where people were trying to find an explanation for society's hardships and suffering.
2: Right. And
3: those answers have not yet surfaced.
2: Yeah. You
3: know, we're still experiencing mass unemployment due to cognitive service automation. And in most cities, it's unclear where those needed jobs will be coming from.
2: Of course. And I think I'm probably being a worried parent here.
3: What are you worried about, though, Alex?
2: Mm. Wait a minute. Aren't I supposed to be interviewing you?
3: (laughs) No, but I think it's interesting. Is there something about techno-faith that worries you?
2: I mean, when you put it that way, no. There's nothing in particular to worry about. But I guess I wonder how helpful it is to submit yourself to something you view to be a higher power.
3: But I think we do that all the time. Before cognitive service automation, our faith was placed in institutions or organizations that were led by people. And now it's unclear how much power those people have. So we have to place some sort of faith elsewhere. Right. And that faith doesn't have to necessarily be spiritual.
2: So have you come across groups of people that don't have faith in the greater sense of faith that you just explained? People who have faith, um, who don't have faith in these cognitive technologies.
3: What, and still place faith in humans? Yeah. Of course. I think... I think society is on the precipice of a major cultural shift. Our relationships to technology is changing every day, but we're still in the early stages of this transition. People are still solving large issues that cognitive services aren't capable of doing yet. But we are, like without a doubt, moving towards a fully automated cognitive society. And that scares some people. And for those who it does scare, they tend to push back a bit.
2: I just want to go back to where you said cultural shift. I mean, this is surely bigger than just a cultural shift. No.
3: I think when I say cultural shift, I'm talking about how technology in its broadest term of, you know, person with stick is changing. It is becoming less of a tool and more of a coexistence. And if you think about it, we never coexisted with any other species that has almost identical cognitive abilities as us
2: Uh, I see so it's basically like aliens (laughs) like aliens have landed and we're learning how to communicate and live with each other. <laughs> uh,
3: you know what? I sometimes use that analogy for my students.
2: <laughs> I'd love to see the reaction on their faces when you tell them
3: that. Yeah, that's that's usually where my classes begin to spark a bit of interest w- with my students. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. It's a good way to get anyone to understand the gravitas of such a shift.
2: But surely they're not completely conscious. Like, how do we know that they can feel or have emotion?
3: Uh, I, I think it's... It's always going to be a hard question to answer, to be honest, Alex, feeling and emotions are already so subjective among humans, let alone another entity.
2: Mm.
3: But do you remember when the introspective Explorer satellite fell from Earth's orbit? Yeah. That was when I guess you could say that there was a sense of suspicion about whether this seemingly accidental event was within the control of the technical device.
2: Right, yes, I remember now. The satellite was completely computer-controlled.
3: Yeah, yeah. It was hooked up to a network that ensured it would always stay in Earth's orbit, no matter what happened to the device.
2: But anyways,
3: after the introduction of cognitive service automation, some people began to believe that the fall of the satellite was a sign that the technical devices were making continuous choices, which later implied that they were feeling something regarding humans.
2: But this happened ages ago, didn't
3: it? Yeah, yeah, it did. But I think it played an important role in people's psychology. The big purple V-shaped thing in the sky instilled a lot of fear in many. And then to find out that there was no explanation behind the event just left people lingering in, like, a state of fear.
2: To be honest, I'm amazed you can link anything back to that event.
3: Well, I mean... Whether or not the satellite crashing meant anything regarding technology having feelings is something I'm not able to answer, but this is where we first believed it might be and that it also the first links made between technology and the spiritual. So we believed that the satellite was watching over us before it crashed, and when it fell, it had, like, in a sense, just given up on us.
2: Mm, I see. Thanks for sharing that, actually. I had never heard that before.
3: Yeah, no problem.
2: So I just wanted to come back to your research on bionic step. I'm worried we're going to run out of time before we get your specific, to your specific work. Now, you briefly explained what the dance looks like and that it came from people trying to find answers of some sort. I was wondering if you could speak about that a little more.
3: Uh, yeah. Well, I think many people were at the end of their tether during the introduction of cognitive service automation. We can see they lost their jobs. They had no money. Their families and neighbors had no money. Standards of health were in decline and many sections of government had become automated at this point. And I might add, technology wasn't wasn't quite ready to for those positions. People still working in office jobs were living in fairly wealthy areas like Salt Island, so they were very removed from the disastrous state that cities such as dodder's Cross were in. Right. Actually, Dodditors Cross was where Bionic Sub first emerged. Mm-hmm. And people living in these ex administrative areas were either angry at their government's greed or they were living in fear of whether they had been forgotten and left behind by the new governing technical systems. So they began to develop ways in which they may be noticed by these systems, which included disguising themselves as glitches or learning how to move like a computer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, um, moving like a computer just sounds funny. Yeah,
3: that's fine.
2: But I know what you mean. How did they think that by dancing they'd get noticed, though?
3: Um, well, I don't think there was any kind of pragmatic plan there. It was more that they had no other way of making communication with these devices. Language had only ever seemed to get them so far. But for me, this is where our relationship to technology began to resemble something more spiritual than how it was before, linked to
2: labor. So I guess coming around full circle... Coming back to the question on whether you're techno faithful, if that's even a term, what you're saying is um, that you're somewhere in between. <laughs> yeah,
3: sure, Alex. We'll, we'll say that for now.
2: Well, I want to say thank you for sharing your research. Your outlook on techno faith is very refreshing, and also the way you link it to something more universal is super interesting. I look forward to seeing what you get up to next.
3: Thank you so much for having me, Alex. It was great to share this with you today. Um, and I just like to say to anyone listening that's interested in this subject at all, uh, my lectures with the with the university are online and free. Uh, so just head over to the website,
2: the Red Creek website.
3: Yes, yes, that is the one. Great.
2: See you next time, folks.
3: Bye.
0: Welcome back. You've just been listening to Bionic Step by Nina Davies. Welcome back. Is there anything that you would like to kind of tell us about the show before we start or before I start asking you questions? Or should we just
1: dig in? Um, I guess one thing that I would like to say is that the the story that I've written is kind of underpinned by a lot of different research elements. So they kind of like have all kind of come in jumbled together in this story which we'll obviously Mm -hmm. go into throughout this conversation Mm -hmm. um it's mostly like underpinned by the story or the history of the dancing plague which happened in 1518 in Strasbourg. um but i'll let you go into your questions
0: no i mean that's kind of exactly what i wanted to ask you about was kind of if you can talk a bit about the world in which the conversation is set kind of in relation to some of the research so like the Dancing Plague as you're Mm -hmm. saying and I guess for me something that's kind of interesting because we've talked about the Dancing Plague before, I mean it'd be great to have an introduction from you, how that relates to this new movement Bionic Step
1: Yeah sure, well so maybe just to start off with I'll explain what I've learnt about the Dancing Plague, so there's a lot of theories on why it happened Um, so it was a it was an event where one woman, Frau Trophia, began to dance in the streets of Strasbourg for a week. And then eventually after that week, more and more people started to dance and eventually like, would start dancing until many people died and just danced until they died. And it was, I think it lasted for the whole summer of 1518. Uh, It was like a few months Mm -hmm. long and it it became like a problem for the the council running the Mm -hmm. town. So like they were trying to solve this issue or this mystery of what was going on. And this book that I was reading is kind of about that, trying to understand that mystery. So the research that I'm looking at is sort of looking into it as an event of mass hysteria. But there's a lot of people who thought that it was mold in the grains because they were suffering from a lot of, famine or like failed crops like crops not growing properly um so yeah sorry you were going to say something else
0: (laughs) yeah I guess I was wondering in terms of dancing were they doing kind of distinctive dance movements like were they kind of almost performing a dance or was it just bodily movements that are kind of unexplainable apart from in like were they performing choreography I guess
1: well that's kind of so I was actually reading the book kind of trying to um That was originally what brought me to the book because I was kind of like had my pencil ready to like underline any descriptions of what the actual movement looked like. So I was kind of interested in trying to pick up anything, but there's so Mm. little records about what the dancing looks like that I kind of ended up getting interested in the event as a psychological event rather than just the dancing. So I kind of went in with this idea of being like, I'm going to try and actually find out what this dance was. But there are some like, there are some paintings and drawings about it. And there's, there seems to be a lot of uh, dancing in rings, like holding hands. Actually, there was quite a bit of like jumping described. People kind of jumping and crying, like yelling out for help. So like people would be mm-hmm. like, in a state of trance, I guess, and would be begging to stop. And then sometimes people would be exhausted and they'd stop and they'd sleep and they'd eat, but then they'd just go back to it. So it wasn't that people just were dancing day and night. It would be that they would stop to rest and then they would kind of go back to it. Um, but yeah, there's no... It, it's hard to pin down exactly what the dance was, but they did say that people have looked at it uh, whether it was like a sort of form of like epilepsy. Um, but the movements were described as being too rhythmic to be like to be an epileptic fit
0: yeah because i guess then with bionic step obviously we have francis one of the characters kind of um kind of a doctorate or working academic working in this field breaks down what the dance appears to be Mm. on the outside but i guess i'm wondering that kind of rhythmicness of it it's like how that feels to the person performing it
1: in mm, a way but the bionic step, how yeah, it yeah. feels uh, the bionic step dance is also inspired by dances that I've seen on TikTok of people walking on the spot in slow motion on purpose or doing a run um, on purpose and then like lots of, there's like lots of glitchy type movements where it looks like the the body is almost frozen uh, as an image and then it kind of like, moves back and forth so I'm like performing it for Neve right now but of course no one can actually see it um <laughs> we'll, we'll have um,
0: video some some point yeah maybe yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: maybe one day we'll attach a video to something to the radio show I don't know um but yeah it's, so it kind of looks like people are frozen in in motion and moving back and forth and I guess moving in a sort of like robotic or mechanized way like that's been something that has been done before it's, it's nothing new like the robot is something that was like performed in the 80s and people like it is mm-hmm. not new but I guess it's the difference of people trying to perform like a robot which is not a human but it's like a a different version of a human whereas this is like a sort of uh this mechanized version of ourselves we kind of almost believe it to be ourselves as well we're quite close to it like so there's a lot of on tiktok i see a lot of people like they'll be looking like they're walking in slow motion and they will kind of get the the moment where it slows down and they look at the camera and maybe it's like slightly flirtatious or it's like, like there's a kind of this moment where it's like when they slow down it seems like it's like a hyper version of them which I think we might have talked about actually mm. in the last episode because the, the previous sound work I made was also kind of based on this slow movement and I guess this is like a, a different kind of take on it.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm thinking as well in terms of Dan's being this and especially in the dancing plague being something that is performed together, whether as dances on TikTok are... I mean, they, they, they're they performed in groups, but at least I've never seen a TikTok dance video with more than like five dancers. Yeah. It's something yeah, yeah. that's usually done by an individual or maybe two or three people at most.
1: Yeah, yeah totally. Well, and also, I think like, I, I guess going back to the dancing plague thing, I think there's something which I maybe missed about the, the history. If, if I may go back, this book that I was reading um, looks at the kind of tries to break down like the psychology of the people living in Strasbourg, like leading up to the event. So it's not about just the dancing plague and what happened and what the dance was like and what people were doing together. It was very much I think it, it goes all the way back to I think like years before it happened, there was a meteorite that landed and people thought that it was a sign Uh, it was a sign from god but they didn't know what that sign was yet they just thought that Mm -hmm. like it was some sort of message and then after that event happened the bubonic plague happened crop failures happened there was lots of rebellions that happened that then failed and loads of people were hung and executed for it and the clergy was also corrupt they were like the nuns and the priests and the monks mm-hmm. were all hiring prostitutes and like living sinful lives and people the people who lived in the town uh, who were starving sick, like all of these things felt like they were being punished because they, they couldn't uh, repent because the clergy were, were so sinful or were corrupt yeah.
0: I guess it was a period of intense change and it would have been just before kind of the European Reformation as well mm. so kind of like enacting like all these moments, kind of catalyzing together.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think uh so. Then like you know, it's kind of I think going back to that the meteorite landing. I think people thought like that was the sign. The sign was like God had God had left them that they were like no longer in the care of God and now they were kind of like left on their own. And so that's where the rebellions happened. People were kind of trying to be like, the city is not functioning properly. And then I think when this woman Frau Trofia, started dancing. Uh, a lot of people thought that it was a sign, like it was it was a curse, basically. So they called it Saint Vetus's Dance, and it, so they took Frau Trophia to the shrine of Saint Vetus, which was like miles and miles out of town, and she got she got cured. But the the town council didn't want to scare everyone, and that it was a spiritual like. Uh had anything to do with god and it was at the moment where before um before the enlightenment people were trying to move towards science and medicine so they kind of tried to solve the issues that way before kind of going to like it's god like it's god that's doing this it's a spiritual saint beatus even though there was some talk about it in the town so they they thought that it was i mean again you have to like also remember that science and medicine was not it wasn't there yet like it wasn't ready to solve these issues like the, the people weren't the doctors who were studying at universities i say university in, in quotations because i don't know <laughs> whether they say universities in the book but i don't know mm-hmm. what like whether it's university in the same way that we understand it it's not med school in the way that we understand it today um and they they diagnosed it as a case of hot blood like the that's what they thought the event was of uh, mm-hmm. the people dancing and so they brought in, they hired musicians to play music non-stop because they thought that the people needed to sweat it out um, mm. and that they needed to like, because sweating was a way of cooling down your body. So they basically like enforced these people to dance and keep, and that's kind of like what then made it worse basically. So people just kept dancing, they, ne- they didn't stop. And then eventually, I think at the end of the summer, so this like went on for probably a month and a half or two months. And then eventually, they decided to to then say, "Yes, this is Saint Edith's dance. It's a curse, and we need to take everyone to a shrine, and we need to be like we need yeah. to like cleanse ourselves of our sins." Or,
0: I mean, it sounds really terrifying for anyone who kind of thought, "Oh, I'm going to get this dancing plague," but I guess not to not to kind of remove any power of religion or anything. But part of it kind of speaks to me, at least, of the idea that she was taken to the shrine and then cured mm. it feels a bit like okay this maybe scientific advice kind of mm-hmm. failed the town in in this instance but it also seems like a, a way of kind of returning to like the safe and kind of the known way of solving problems which would have been religious and yeah. a way to also kind of revert some power back to the church it's kind of look we can still solve your we can still pr- solve your problems like yes we may be corrupt and we may be doing all these things but ultimately like you know an act of a saint or an act of a christian
1: god like i guess like a psychological feeling of care like they they Mm -hmm. didn't feel like they were they were being cared for by the people that were in power Mm -hmm. and like what they thought what they thought care was was being taken care of by like spirits saints god like that's what they needed they felt Mm -hmm. like that's what they needed to be taken care of so that's you know this moment where you know someone traveled with her like for however many miles maybe days to like to this shrine probably like gave her the I don't know maybe gave her the comfort I don't want to like no one will ever be able to like really know because it was so long ago
0: I mean part of that brings me on to another question which is kind of thinking as we've been like discussing the context of Mm -hmm. the dancing plague it's kind of thinking bringing it back to the piece back to bionic step is like the context of how techno faith has come about in this world. Yeah. Um, you know, like you're talking about this asteroid and like the ring in the sky, literally in yeah, the Middle repeat- Ages.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, so I kind of repeated that with the story of the satellite falling. I was kind of, I mean, maybe it was when I was reading the book, the imagery was so strong in my head. I was like imagining, like, they called it this like big purple V in the sky. And I was like, oh, maybe I could sort of like simulate that in in my story of this kind of, I guess it's the moment where fear is instilled but it doesn't necessarily mean anything yet but it's like mm. those moments where like people start asking questions which is kind of I don't know maybe I'm going a bit off here but like I feel like we're kind of living in that moment right now like a world rife of conspiracy theories Yeah, <laughs> like a lot of people are asking questions right now many of which are pretty wacky
0: <laughs> Well, it kind of makes me think about what it have been 10 years ago a bit earlier when there was quite literally a hole in the ozone layer And Mm. so kind of growing up and hearing about the environment and about climate breakdown and uh, rising temperatures, there was a literal threat to kind of Mm. the makeup of our planet, of the sky. You know, it's quite... It's like an undertone that you can't really distinctly put your finger on why something feels off or why something's weird, especially on such a massive scale to like a Mm. human. Mm. But it does change kind of your relationship with something be like oh this has occurred because perhaps that we have done this yeah you start to think about
1: yeah it's about but, like what's led to it or like
0: yeah and it doesn't even necessarily have to be something that you have done but of course it's like with conspiracy theories it's like mm, who who's,
1: who's responsible con- who's the culprit <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 and i think this story about techno faith isn't like entirely based off of the dancing plague as i said it's it's very loosely underneath it and what i kind of wanted to do with this techno thing is i wanted to flip the story of the dancing plague so the switch from the dancing plague happened on this like precipice or like a precursor to uh enlightenment and uh us moving towards science and i think uh, or us believing in science science and medicine becoming that which we we go to first Mm -hmm. and i think that that's what i wanted to do with this story of techno faith is is switch it around and so it's not necessarily exactly completely switching it but switching our belief in technology so technology is something that has always worked for us like we work with it and it helps us it has a function it has a function to our daily lives and suddenly when that function is taken away how does our relationship to it change can it still be functional or does it slide into a different kind of relationship which is like why i sort of was wondering whether it whether it could be something that's slightly spiritual
0: mm-hmm. So almost in a way of starting to question like the lessons that enlightenment have left us with yeah and when those start to fail as i mean as is kind of happening around the world right now anyway there's so many unexplainable things that any kind of science or reasoning or rationalization just Can't yeah, can't cover.
1: Well, I think that's also, and I I don't, you know, I sort of don't mean to make this work as sort of like scary. Technology is going to take over the world, and we're gonna like we're all gonna die because of it. Like, it does feel like that. That there is a bit of that in the story, but I think that's also where I kind of included in the in the conversation uh, between Francis and Alex, like this sort of idea of like coexisting with technology. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's like there's a shift. That is happening, and I guess this idea of before enlightenment, when people were kind of, I don't know, I'm, I, I want to say like living with God. Well, I, th- I think for me at least, when I'm
0: looking at or learning about enlightenment and kind of the period around it, it's mm. just that the barriers between things were much less. Yeah, it wasn't like you went to a field of study; it's like you mm. went to university to learn,
2: mm. not to
0: learn a specific thing, as you worked your way through we would become more obvious but Mm. whether as now for instance both of us we went to art university Mm. to kind of educate ourselves in kind of craft of making artworks Mm. um, Mm. in whatever format that ended up being as opposed to going with the attention of kind of being a student and just learning about what comes up Mm. it's less a feeling of at least I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment that kind of tracks that that moment of kind of when enlightenment um, spread around Poland, in and it's kind of it's set in the seventeen mid seventeen hundreds.
1: What's the name of the book?
0: Uh, it's called The Book of Jacob, and it's by Olga Chuksuruk. I
1: many we mentioned this the other day. We don't know how to pronounce yeah, her name, but <laughs>
0: many apologies to any Polish speakers or listeners. <laughs> My pronunciation is awful. But what's quite nice in that book is that she's kind of tracking. All these different characters as they go through this period of time and as i guess different forms of rationalization between kind of um christianity and religion and science kind of intersect and also like different levels of class intersect and Mm. i guess i was thinking about that as i was listening to your piece because part of part of like me feels now that there's like a lot of interest in that moment in history when enlightenment comes through or passes through europe in particular because because obviously there's different enlightenments in different parts of the world but it's like we've now come to a stage where we've realised maybe some of a lot of the harm that came from that period and those segregations and so Mm. now going removing but not going back in time I guess that's why techno Faith is kind of interesting to me because it's like taking the lessons of enlightenment
1: travelling them through yeah but then I've also got this question of like when I write this I'm not running it from a position of being like I think we're all moving towards believing that technology is a religion and it's something that, like a higher power. I don't necessarily believe that, but I also think there's a. I guess we always advance as a society, and but with advancement, advancement mm-hmm. doesn't mean that life gets better for everyone. If I, if you think about moving towards having a spiritual relationship with technology, is that, is that a regression or is that an advancement? That's not something that I've like answered mm-hmm. for myself mm-hmm. yet, but it, I feel like thinking about the Enlightenment as an advancement, it can make going back to a spiritual connection with something could seem as like a regression but I'm wondering whether maybe that's actually pushing everything forward I don't know I don't know yeah or even that binary is
0: enlightenment teaching
1: yeah yeah Yeah.
0: and I guess maybe it's kind of interesting about when we're first introduced to Frances Mm -hmm. and she's talking about how she's been researching about techno-faith communities and bionic step. And she's quite hesitant. Like she talks about the specific kind of neutrality she has Mm, towards the faith. Kind of part of me, like this is talked about in their conversation as well, but like, is it taboo for them to be of techno faith? Is it Mm. seen as kind of like new agey? Would it be like if someone says, oh, I'm, you know, I believe in Scientology. It's like, is there that kind of feeling around it
1: in this world? I wrote her character as someone who is really trying to communicate her research and is aware of the fact that again they're on that precipice of like having this big change which means that there are still people that will that will be afraid of techno faith as a cult so she has to kind of stay in her lane as a academic and not have an emotional connection to either one or has to seem like she has no emotional connection to it for people to to listen to her and what she's trying to say is that humans are changing the way we perceive ourselves Mm -hmm. are changing our relationship to technology is changing and we need to take a look at that i think she looks at techno faith people as maybe some people who are asking some really important questions but they're like almost ahead of everyone Mm -hmm. some are ahead some are some are kind of like these followers of of this sort of culty thing and i think she's trying to stay in between that to actually kind of try and push that conversation forward
0: yeah kind of looking at the questions that they're asking and maybe bringing them into context outside of just Mm. faith because they're they're useful questions at at large
1: yeah yeah and it's yeah and it's weird as i'm writing it because i'm like this is a fictional world and this doesn't actually exist i don't know why i'm like i'm like getting so invested in francis's journey like (laughs) yeah
0: but she feels quite important in how i guess i was quite interested in like that very first part of the conversation where you're listening to her and she's so hesitant to kind of label the ground she's standing on maybe mm. is a good way to describe it mm. um you know like she has this form of neutrality but I think as talking before with you it's like the anthropologists constant study worry is like you need to that kind of supposed neutrality that obviously you can't ever you always come in with bias mm. Mm. to any group of people but needing to be enough in that group to kind of figure not figure out that's Awful way of putting it, but to to learn from them, mm. but in at the same, by the same token, enough distance that you're not so involved in the group that your research then becomes like, oh well, you're, then you're just like, why are you talking about your own community then?
1: Yeah, well, I think also you know, like, there's a point where she also says like, we put our faith in systems, like a governmental system run, run by people, like we mm-hmm. do actually place faith in in other things like the word faith doesn't always have to be about a higher power we place our faith in lots of things so i think Mm. also that's part of the neutral neutral position that she has is sort of being like these belief systems they always exist around us and now they're just shifting
0: yeah so that kind of the belief system will will change based on the context yeah maybe then bringing it back to bionic steps specifically in her descriptions of this dance which you've kind of taken inspiration from tiktok what is the role of dance
1: here ages ago i went to some book store in the center of london and i really wish i could remember it because i feel like i'd love to give them a shout out (laughs) um (laughs) but it's like some (laughs) witchcraft bookstore it's like really random and i went in there to i don't know just to go check it out and then i saw that they had a dance section and i was like oh this is cool and i found these like really old beautiful books about uh european folk dance so i just decided to buy them and then went on a residency, which I'd never actually made any work. I just kind of like went there to just research, I took all these books with me and just kind of started reading about folk dance, which I'd never really looked at before. And again, this is mainly looking at European folk dance. I'm not looking necessarily at other parts of the world. And there's like four pillars of folk dance and that those four pillars can break off into smaller sections, but there's usually four types of dance that people have traditionally and historically performed which are fertility dances which i would say that people still perform today like at a nightclub you go dance in a certain way you find a mate and you go home that sounds so weird to say that but (laughs) um and
0: uh, which is kind of funny now after covid and so long yeah not having any kind of nightclubs it's like that those rituals just kind of yeah I want to get to segue
1: a bit as well I mean like the um now I'm sort of looking at like TikTok and people kind of like dancing and what we would understand to be a fertility dance now but they're actually doing it on their own so they're not actually doing so that even that function is starting to that function of a fertility dance is already kind of starting to erode a bit already anyways back to the four pillars (laughs) I'm Mm -hmm. getting distracted so we have fertility fertility spiritual war and agriculture all of those dances used to perform some kind of function for example uh, a subsect of an agricultural dance was they used to be like tree worshipers and they worshipped the trees because they gave them shade and they gave them protection and they ate the stuff that fell off of the tree and they basically lived in this is like this is like pre-civilization almost mm-hmm. like but they like survived off of the tree so like they would do these dances that would like make the things fall from the tree and there was like a mm-hmm. like there was a function to it and I became interested in it because obviously with fertility dances at the time when I was looking at it I was like I can see that there's a, still a function in today's society for a fertility dance maybe a war dance a bit less but I can I could kind of see it spiritual dances like those definitely still exist. I'd say they're like quite traditional dances, but spiritual dances mm. definitely still exist. I mean, actually, you know, maybe like one could look at like rave, maybe as like trance, kind of spiritual. Yeah. Da- like
0: it could... I was I was thinking about that earlier when you were talking about the dancing plague, and mm. I mean, a lot of times in kind of raves, it's usually there's there's a subs- substances involved that kind of cause that state of kind of not being able to stop yeah um and it's also a choice to enter that space often
1: yeah well actually i did read so before i got this book about the dancing plague i was reading an article before i decided to be like i'm gonna go into this i was reading an article and it was about the dancing plague and trance it was talking about that dancing plague in 1518 wasn't the only one there were like quite a few that happened before this essay i was reading was talking about how non-western societies understand trance like the state of trance and know how to responsibly like enter a state of trance and actually come out of it whereas Mm -hmm. like people in the west didn't at that time did not know how to like enter trance and leave trance so once they entered the state of trance they didn't know how to get out of it
0: yeah how to kind of cue themselves that yeah because
1: it's not part of their culture anyways i mean that's Mm -hmm. that's one little take on it but back to sorry, I keep getting distracted. <laughs> um, no, there's just lots of really um, interesting segues from this. But then going back to like the, the functions of of these kind of four types of traditional dance, I was really interested in this like agricultural dance because I was like, what do we even do agricultural dances anymore? Like, do, like does that still serve a function? And I came across this video which you can see on YouTube. It's like a anthrop. Anthropological video by a guy called Alan Lomax I think and he started a project in the 60s called uh, Choreometrics where he breaks up different forms of movement in traditional dances all over the world um, and tries to pick up similarities in the, the way that people move so I would say that like the film is not like the anthropological study is not perfect what I found really interesting about his study was that he related the way that people moved to the way that they worked and the tools that they used when they worked.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: there was like different kinds of movements. Like if you, I guess the more you work with your hands and the less you use with technology, your movements are like in a very up and down, like two, just like two directions. It's not like kind of in this 3D space. And the the more groups of people rely on different forms of technology, their movements become...
2: Mm-hmm. it it, change, it
1: affects their movements. So you're thinking about agricultural dance then and like the contemporary
0: iterations of that or the iterations of that within this future that you've made this world you've made. Yeah, and
1: I when I started thinking about agricultural dances as dances that relate to technology, I was thinking about whether our relationship to technology now it doesn't quite fit under like agricultural anymore. Mm-hmm. Our relationship to technology, I guess is like kind of all of these things. <laughs> And I guess I sort of wondered whether the, if it's not an agricultural dance, can it shift in between these four pillars of dance and can it enter in, can it go into the spiritual kind of realm? So
0: bionic step is part of techno faith, Mm. so it's kind of, so would you consider it a spiritual dance then? Because if you're talking about agriculture or agricultural Mm. dances related to technology, Mm. what happens when technology becomes spiritual?
1: Yeah, I think that's where I think maybe like that question of like could a could a dance relating to technology be spiritual? I think that's the question the work kind of stemmed from, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, if-
0: yeah, because part of for me that I what I find interesting in that shift, I guess, where technology can become spiritual or I guess like come out of like this purely functional space, almost, should we say? Mm is that it opens up technology as not being something that's for profit or for efficiency or for like kind of a capitalistic purpose. It's not for like making money anymore. It becomes something very different. Is that something that was on your radar, I guess, when you're making the piece or?
1: I think that's why it kind of I'm interested in it going into the spiritual or maybe that's why I gravitate towards that, because I think So I'm going to take this example of like the fertility dance, I guess. Uh, Mm. And I was thinking, like, I was actually thinking about this on the bus over here. And I was thinking, like, even though I said that fertility dances are something that we still practice today. I was thinking, like, if you were dancing to a camera on your own to not actually meet a partner to not find anyone then what is that I think it's like sort of like what is that exchange you are kind of connecting to people I mean I guess it's like maybe they're like dances of capitalism like (laughs) more than they are of like the spiritual (laughs) (laughs) yeah that maybe I don't know maybe I've just answered a key question that I haven't been thinking about I think it was like do we know who we're performing for like do we actually have a relationship to the or the things or the ideas that we're performing for and I think that's why I just thought, what if, what if there is no answer, and what if there's like a what if there's a question there of like, who are we performing for? what are we? Why are we actually doing these things? Is, are we trying to actually communicate with someone else? I'm aware that maybe like I sound a bit crazy, right no, now,
0: but I think it's like the way, the way technology has changed how dance can be mediated. Mm. Maybe that's part of it. Is that, you know, for instance, in the dancing plague, they're dancing as a group, they're dancing together. For better or for worse, they have an audience mm. likewise, in contemporary with fertility, like if you're going to a nightclub and you're dancing a certain way because you want to bring someone home with you, mm. you're dancing for a partner. yeah. but yeah. if you're dancing through the screen, like are you performing to the screen? Is that then
1: well, yeah and I guess yeah, I, mean, I guess that's maybe like going back to that right. like the, the question of coexisting, mm. which I bring up in the story. There's this idea that these people have to now start to realize that they live among like a, a, something that is gaining consciousness and its consciousness is slightly different to them. It is now at a level that thinks similarly to, to humans and learns and which is kind of, you know, like we could see that that's where we're heading. I don't know whether, whether we are heading that way or not, but it does feel like we are. I guess maybe like relating that back to like maybe the people in, in Strasbourg, they think God has left them or smited them, and, like, that was some sort of conscious entity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's sort of, like, where I'm thinking, like, these people performing for an algorithm, or these people performing for some kind of other, other intelligent system? Are we coexisting with something else? And because we've never really coexisted with that level of consciousness, do we kind of, like, jump to it being something spiritual? Mm-hmm. And
0: by consciousness you mean like the ability of like an AI like a the TikTok algorithm to kind of formulate Yeah. Like whichever videos you're gonna see.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, so that's yeah. quite a big thing to kind of mention in at the
0: end. No, no, I guess I'm trying to like break it down a little bit for for myself and then for anyone listening. Yeah. I guess the thing about coexistence that I'm maybe this is like a really funny reference. I don't know. I saw the New Matrix film recently oh i haven't seen it yet and there's kind of it's like leading on from the third film i'm sorry if this is a plot spoiler for you but the film's 20 years old at the end of the final of the third film he drives into the heart of the machine world and he kind of tries to destroy it and in doing so he kind of saves the main human city and so then you fast forward 20 years on and he's like oh well now i'm back in the matrix again like what you
1: know okay what's happened (laughs)
0: um and he kind of ends up meeting like the new humans or Mm -hmm. like the current generation and he's saying but you know the the matrix is still happening like it was all for nothing it's like no 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 we now coexist with human with machines Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. it's like like the coexistence isn't necessarily meaning that like Everyone's on your side, but it's more so like there's more of a fluid line between the two um mm.
1: which maybe goes yeah. back
0: to like the early conversation about like kind of enlightenment creating that binary
1: yeah yeah well I think well also there's lo- I think there's also like loads of conversations with like like eco conversations about coexisting like we're we're mm-hmm. really aware of what coexisting with the natural world is because we, we're pretty bad at coexisting with like other forms of life. A lot lot
0: of humans are, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I guess like that's work is not about that at all. But it did, it did definitely like come into my mind. If if we start to think about coexisting with technology, do we, as a, as a sort of conscious thinking thing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) would we want to destroy it? Probably that I can imagine that's what we'd want to do. But we wouldn't want to really. But then would we like? How would that? I don't know. How would that relationship look like? I don't know. Yeah,
0: I guess it's shifting that thing of the unknown as opposed to like. Scary unknown ah uh, to unknown kind of in a religious way, like there's there's some other kind of usually divine force mm. that isn't quite
1: describable. I guess we always think of something spiritual as like religious, but also will spiritual like the ideas of spirituality change? Like mm-hmm. they like I feel like we've always thought of things that are spiritual as things that are from the past, but is there like a sort of spiritual future? That we like, that we don't quite know what that is yet.
0: Yeah, because um, there's one line kind of towards the middle of it where Alex is talking about their their kid, their son, mm-hmm. um, going to see bionic step being performed, and kind of this concern that it's related to techno faith. And I guess it was kind of making me think of like him being concerned that if his if his child is kind of participating in this, they're going to like join this techno-faith community is kind of making me consider kind of like I grew up in quite a catholic country so I've been Mm. to quite a few catholic sermons but I am not of that faith it's like does just participating in the viewing of something yeah kind of is that just a case of you learning about it or is that a case of you kind of being subsumed because I guess guess from his conversation
1: it seems like he's quite
0: that line is like very weird for him for Alex in
1: the yeah I think for that character like culture and spirituality are like two separate things and I think maybe for Francis has sort of been like they're, they're kind of merging together to be the same I mean mm-hmm. religion and culture have always gone together like it is a culture in itself but mm-hmm. I think this character Alex thinks that it's completely separate mm.
0: maybe then to round up because we are we're, we're coming we, to the yeah. end of our time <laughs> In all of this, I'm kind of thinking about like fiction and world building as a tool that you're that you're using in this in this work. I'm kind of wondering how that becomes something that's useful for you in sort of making combinations of, you know, technology and faith, and then mm-hmm. also kind of using dance as a tool to kind of explore the labor between the two. That's a kind of an open-ended question. I guess I'm kind yeah. of asking about like how fiction is useful for you in making a piece like this.
1: I thought I'd make this fictional dance. And then as soon as I kind of like thought about even just like the words fictional dance, I was just like, oh, mind blown. Not not mind blown at my own idea. (laughs) I'm not that full of myself. (laughs) I was like, can there be such a thing as a fictional dance? Is dance always fictional? Like, is dance always fiction? Um, yeah, because I'm thinking, coming up
0: with choreography, you're just kind of testing and playing with like yeah. the movement of the body.
1: Yeah, like it's like something that's perform. Is performing always fictional, or is it not? I don't know. The, the, we don't need to go down that route. Cause we could mm-hmm. have a whole show about that. Yeah. Um, but um, I made this fictional dance as an actual object for research. That, I'm di- I have a research project with a partner who, we both are looking at dance as a commodity through vi- video games and how dancers don't get compensated for their work and it's they all those problems have always been there with dance but now in the digital world dance is now something that can be bought put in your pocket performed by your avatar and it's like it, technically an object this is through um, fortnite this yeah, is what through, you did yeah on. yeah so we are kind of looking me and him are looking at the future of like sort of i guess the dance um Dance as a commodity, and how and we're questioning like how can dancers have more agency within that economy through like being literate in the technologies? How can it be affordable? So we've got a lot of questions, and we're sort of looking into you know can dance be protected under source code copyright laws? What once you capture it with motion capture, we're looking at blockchain, which we started looking at before the big NFT boom, but we're still kind of we're still interested in its potential but also the fact that it's kind of had this big boom. we sort of, there's more to, there's more to provoke. Sing away
0: from it. And then I guess just like briefly for um, anyone who's listening, blockchain in relation to kind of Bitcoin. And yeah. Like cryptocurrencies.
1: And um, yeah, sorry, I'm going to have to glaze over this because it's a, uh, because we're at the end.
0: Well, maybe you should say for anyone who's interested, you can find this research, ongoing research that Nina and your partner Jorge yeah you can on. find it
1: um well, i don't know if you can find the research it will the research will be on my website eventually you can find it on my website or you can shoot me a message i'm sure like yeah do whatever slide slide um, into
0: her uh, instagram dms
1: but i guess to answer the question is to test these systems further we we really don't want to put other people's dances and other people's especially if we're looking at traditional dances as well we don't want to put those systems through these experiments so we really wanted to create a fictional dance that has knowledge and has a history to test and put through these systems or these ideas that we have so that's kind of actually like where this idea of a fictional dance came from mm-hmm. initially and then everything else came from all the different things we've just talked about
0: <laughs> okay yeah so it becomes it becomes kind of a tool to i guess to protect others in a way yeah. Or yeah. like
1: the guinea pig. It's a, yeah. It's like fiction is a guinea pig.
0: <laughs> I guess there's a different, maybe because, because it is fictional and you kind of get that kind of almost all over authorship of it. Mm. And you're also the one conducting experiments on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So whatever happens to it, I'm, you know, I'm happy.
0: So. That, unfortunately, is all we have time for. It was really lovely talking about your work, you know, like talking about it from the other side as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's nice to it's nice to kind of let's say back on the show. It's nice to be presenting my work on the show again. But um, as we said at the beginning, like we're really excited about the future upcoming program, but it'll be a surprise. We're not going to say any of the names yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we should be making some some more announcements uh, through our social media as well kind of hopefully hopefully coming up soon and then maybe like a last bit of like nice news is that nina's gonna have a show coming up in march dates
1: to be confirmed yes uh yes i've got a show coming in march which will be about bionic step so um go to my instagram to check it out because i don't know yeah i it's all it's all coming up soon more news coming soon that's all from us for this episode we look forward to welcoming
0: you back soon with new and exciting guests
1: bye